Welcome to Fucking Cancelled, a podcast about what the left is like, what to do about it, and what it'll be like once we've done it. In today's episode, we are joined by Poplar Rose, a writer, witch, and herbalist from British Columbia. We talk about recovery from cancellation, post-traumatic growth, and the freedom that can be found outside the nexus. So welcome back to Fucking Cancelled. We're here with our friend Poplar Rose. Hi Poplar, thanks for being on the pod. Thanks for having me. Um, so for our listeners, do you want to just introduce yourself a little bit and let our listeners know who you are? Sure. Um, I'm a witch and a herbalist, and some of my work has a bit of a feminist social justice lens, but that has really evolved over the last few years after I got canceled. Um, but I my primary sort of online project that I worked on was a class about boundaries called Hawthorne Heart. Um, but I also write about relationships in general and particularly how like herbs and magic and spirituality like relate to conflict and healing. But for the most part, yeah, I'm just like a witch who lives in the woods <laughs> and I love mushrooms. <laughs> <laughs> that's a great, uh, that's a great introduction. Um, and do you want to just give our listeners like a short play by play of your experience with cancellation? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I've been canceled a few different times or like called out a few different times for different things over the course of like social justice organizing life from my teens I'm in my 30s now so that's like you know over a decade of dealing with that stuff but the major instance like I was doing work online that was like my primary income and I went through two cancellations in two weeks one from some people I was really close with and one from someone else I knew only online and yeah it led me to basically have a total mental breakdown while living off grid in the woods with no power and no water, which was simultaneously really hard and also really beautiful. And I feel like paradoxically was like sort of medicinal for me, even though it almost killed me. (laughs) And I'm excited to talk about that more because I feel like it's a really big change that like everyone who's really close to me has been able to like observe, but I haven't really talked about it like super publicly. So it's, I'm excited to like, yeah, talk to you guys about it. Yeah. And if people are interested in hearing more um, about Poplar's story, Poplar did an interview on our friend Molly's podcast, which is called Out of the Woods. Um, And in that interview, um, Poplar goes into a lot more detail about the specifics of the cancellation. Um, And this interview is going to focus more on life after cancellation, but we will put the link um, to that podcast episode in the show notes for people who are interested. Yeah, and yeah, it's uh, it's really long and really detailed and like it really when I got canceled it was very unclear to people exactly like what had happened and so what my interview with Molly is really answering that being like this is what happened from my perspective with lots of detail. Right, um, for sure. Yeah. Um yeah, and and in this interview, yeah, we really want to focus on sort of like these themes of resilience and growth. Um And yeah, I mean, in that vein, um, we wanted to ask you, like, at the height of your cancellation, when things were, like, really fucked up for you, um, what are some of the things that you did that you found were most helpful, like, to take care of yourself or to kind of, like, cope with what was going on with you? It's interesting. Like, I look back at my Instagram. My cancellation happened in 2018. So this May, coming up in a couple of months, will be about three years. And when I look back at that time, like initially, because I experienced two call-outs back to back, the first one, I bounced back pretty quickly. Um, I almost like looking at my online presence, like it's kind of unaffected by the cancellation. And then with the second one, um, it was a little more, I disappeared sort of from the internet, but that was also because I went to go live in the woods. 
And so I feel like the actual impacts of it kind of cascaded into the next six months afterwards. And that was when it really, so like, yeah, initially I was like really resilient to it. And then it just kind of more and more impact started to add up over time. And I, I mean, I have a bit of a in, like unusual way of coping because I was literally living in the forest with no power, no water and no internet. Um, and I mean, I, yeah, I built a cabin and I was chopping wood and making fires and like just doing really the bare necessities of like taking care of a human body. <laughs> um, and I think kind of like stripping myself down to those like really raw elements was simultaneously really hard, but it also really made me like I detoxed from the internet mm-hmm. for like a year and a half. Yeah. Like shortly after getting into the woods, my phone broke, my computer broke, like, and that was really good for me. Like I was offline for probably about a year and a half and I would go to parties where I'd be like, sometimes the youngest person there and the only one without a phone. <laughs> so I definitely think taking time away from a phone was very, very helpful. I also moved to a small town that has like a real sense of community mm-hmm. um, of people who are not woke. <laughs> like, my like there are some social justice minded people here there's some like really amazing activists who live in my community but there's also lots of working class folks like loggers and fishermen and lots of native folks and just a wide sort of array array of how people relate and talk to each other and I think that was also like it was like a social detox for me Uh to like talk to other people and be like wow this conversation is like overflowing with you know, woke rule breaking, but these people are amazing and really good to me. And they're literally feeding me while I'm hungry. You know, like some of my, some some people who took care of me were like really hardcore Christians who had some beliefs I don't agree with, (laughs) but they were amazing. Like they literally were feeding me every day because I was cold and hungry in the woods. (laughs) So yeah, yeah, all of those things, there's more pieces than that, but those were some of the biggest ones for me, for sure. Totally. I think that's such an interesting thing with cancellation, like finding out sort of like where the kindness comes from and where the cruelty comes from can be like really surprising. Um, Totally. And yeah, I relate to that experience as well. So, I mean, once your cancellation had like died down a bit or like once a a bit of time had passed um, and things were less like intense, um, what was most helpful during that period? Like, do you find that other tools came in? for you? um, Or did things shift as time passed? Yeah, there was a few things for me, like, one of the really big things with my cancellation was that, like, I described it to people as like, it really broke my brain. (laughs) Like, I'm a person who's lived with like mental illness and struggle for like most of my life. Like I've had like anxiety, PTSD kind of stuff since I was a kid, and depression probably since I was a teenager. Um, but I'm also like a major, like overachiever, like straight A student, always doing all the things. And it's, it's actually really easy in some ways to hide, um, that you're not well when you're like high functioning. Mm -hmm. So this was the first time in my life where like anyone who was around me, like could visibly see that I was like crazy. (laughs) Like I was like unhinged, you know, mm-hmm. um, and I was the thinnest I had been since high school. I was angry and sad and like emotionally volatile or totally numb. And I think that it really forced me to actually deal with my mental health and not just like bandaid over it. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of things helped me do that. Like definitely like my relationship with land, like I relate a lot to, you made a post at one point about um, like attachment, forming attachment and mm-hmm. co-regulation, like to nature. Yeah. And that's a huge one for me. Like, um, like I'm a plant person. I really love plants and like, I never really understood mushrooms. And then I moved into this forest where there was just mushrooms like e- growing everywhere. And like, it was so interesting to me because it was like, I was on this like death rotting decay wavelength where my life was just like, so Like it felt like my life was like a rotting corpse and suddenly I could just see mushrooms everywhere and I could like feel on their vibe in this whole new way. And so, and mushrooms have were really huge for me. Like not only like um, 
I went morale picking, which is where you go into like a forest fire burn. And so that was like being in a, a environmentally destroyed area and like seeing so much life. I went chanterelle picking and was eating like tons of medicinal and edible mushrooms. And I also started microdosing regularly and like my relationship with mushrooms, like hugely supportive to a shift, major, major shift in my like spiritual and mental well-being. There's other pieces too, like my mom, my relationship with my mom, like I didn't want to go to the city for a long time where my mom lives. And eventually I did. And she like took care of me for two months. And, you know, we've had, my mom is really amazing, but I didn't really feel like we would be able to live together for two months. And now she's like wanting to move to where I live because our relationship is really good now. And I think a big part of that is that my energy has shifted to not just be like constantly criticizing her from like... (laughs) Yeah, place, right? Yeah. yeah. And to be more humble and to be like, you know, my mom was a social worker in the downtown east side, like before I was born. And she said to me when I was up there, like, or living with her, like recovering from all of this, she's like, you know, you've definitely like outpaced me in your learning and stuff. She's like, but you are the way you are because of me. Like I raised you to be a feminist and to like think about the world. And like that's something I'm really proud of. And I realized like yeah like who am I to be like constantly telling my mom that she's like wrong when like I am who I am like I wouldn't exist without my mom and not everybody has that sort of relationship to rely on but I definitely do and like I I cherish my mom so much and she's listened to all of my podcasts like about being canceled and she's just told she doesn't understand really what cancellation is but she's like fully in my camp and like and that also helps right I talk to my mom when I'm like oh cancellation is the worst and my mom's like, you know, the internet isn't like that for me. Like, I just watch dog videos. <laughs> <laughs> That's super real. Yeah. It's so important to talk to people. Like, on the one hand, you know, listening to your guys' pod and, like, watching. Like, I'm close with friends. I have a lot of friends who are, like, really putting out a lot of work into um, pushing back on this stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm a part of that. But there's a, the weight is so much bigger than me. And you guys are obviously like making such a huge, huge contribution to that. And I love it. And it's been so incredibly helpful. And it is so helpful to talk to people who just do not, this is not even in their mind frame. Like, totally. you need, I need both. Yeah, <laughs> Yo, absolutely. Um, I just want to note for our listeners that the downtown east side that Poplar just mentioned is um, like the poorest postal code in Canada in uh in Vancouver yeah yeah um yeah I also really love everything you're saying about like the land and particularly the forest I mean I'm like a city kid in like a big fucking way um <laughs> like when I leave the city for like three days I started like feeling like agoraphobic but um <laughs> but that being said like I fucking love going to the forest even if it's like little dinky forests that I find like on the train tracks or whatever like in the city um, because yeah. hanging out with trees always makes me feel so much more regulated, particularly because I just like, I kind of anthropomorphize trees a lot and like treat them as personalities. And like when I'm walking in a forest, I'm like, none of these trees care about mm-hmm. yeah, like they, they really don't care at all, you know, and all of them are here. They're perfectly happy um, <laughs> just without the internet, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah. They have the, their internet is the mycelial network, right? It's a totally <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> different way of relating. Like, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I don't know, in retrospect, knowing what you know now, having, you know, been canceled and now being a, a post-cancel um, icon, um, <laughs> are there to things that... That says that. <laughs> <laughs> Are there things that you would have done differently, like looking back on that whole fucking saga? Well, it's like I've definitely had thoughts about that. Like, I wonder about moments where I could have stood up for myself more. I wonder, you know, but I also like, I don't know, I'm like a pretty spiritual person and I was really raised with like my grandmother always said you know everything happens for a reason and my mom I grew up with her saying that to me and I feel like sometimes I don't totally agree with that I feel like you know sometimes bad shit just happens or sometimes bad shit happens because we live in capitalism and it's unfair um but I do feel in this particular scenario like 
I like myself now so much more and I wouldn't be who I am now without having had walked through it the way that I did. And yeah, I super agree with you about like relating to the trees where like I actually had an experience walking in the woods behind the house I used to live in. And I started hearing like this laughter of this person who had canceled me, but not mean laughter. It was like, cause we used to be friends and my partner at the time heard it too. We were both like, Whoa, this is really weird. We're like here. Cause this forest is very dense and very spirited and very alive. And I was, I would go out walking and walking and walking. And I heard so clearly from this forest, it was like, you have to forgive this person. Like, you can't walk this land responsibly if you don't forgive this person. And I remember being so mad for a while, but I realized that it was like, yeah, like I had to figure out for myself, like, which is a part of like the spiritual process for me. Right. And I had to forgive that person and I had to forgive myself. And I feel like I'm a better, I work with youth. I feel like I'm a better youth worker. I'm a better person, better friend, better partner, everything. Like it was like a, I don't know. I don't know if pilgrimage is the right word. Like whatever that is, like extremely difficult spiritual, spiritual challenge. Yeah. Um, But, and not everyone's going to relate to it that way. Like not everybody can lean on those things. But for me, like, and while I was going through it, I didn't see it that way at all. While I was going through it, I like seriously wanted to die and everything was horrible. (laughs) And that's like, I'm not exaggerating. Like that was literally how I felt for like a year and a half. Um. But now I'm like, I can't imagine going back to that mind frame. And I, you know, I think one of the things I've noticed about people who experience cancellation is that it's very, very rare for someone to possess the empathy to be able to understand how it feels when they're sort of in it, if they haven't experienced being canceled themselves. Yeah. They can get it if they're not in the world and they're like, why would people treat each other like that? That doesn't make any sense. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. There's this whole process of like unlearning um, when people start to exit the nexus. Um, And I think cancellation like speeds up that process in in a major way because it's happening to you and you can't deny it. Whereas like, you know, if you're in the nexus and you're watching it happen to other people, there's all of these denial mechanisms that people use to sort of make sense out of what they're seeing. Um, so you've kind of touched on a number of these things already, but we wanted to like pull them out a little bit more. So in our interview, um, with Dr. Christine Marie, um, she talks about a number of themes that, um, that people in her study, um, pulled out, um, that were like tools for them in terms of recovering from cancellation. And for people who haven't listened to that episode, Dr. Christine Marie is a researcher that we did an interview with. We'll, we'll link the episode in the show notes. And basically she just did this whole research study on people who experienced um, media misrepresentation and humiliation, which is um, cancellation is a type of, of that experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she has a lot of interesting things to say about that. And one of the things she talks about in her research is how do people recover from this? Um, and so we wanted to ask you, Poplar, um, about some of the things that she um, mentioned in her research, which some have already come up, um, interestingly mm-hmm. enough. Um, but a couple of the themes were nature, spirituality, interpersonal support, and acceptance. I actually think you've touched on all four of those, <laughs> um, which is interesting. Yeah. But um, yeah, that interview was very spot on for me, definitely. When I listened to that, I was like, yes, yes, <laughs> that's it. um yeah so I guess is there anything more um that you wanted to say about any of those themes you've talked about nature a bunch and I know spirituality is really big for you um interpersonal support you talked about your mom um and I think you've talked a little bit about acceptance well the forest told her to accept right her counselor yeah 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 it was really it was intense they, it literally, the message I got was, you cannot harvest these mushrooms until you forgive this person. Wow, that's so direct. And I was just like, <laughs> and I had dreams about it. And I was just like, fuck. Honestly, you know? this is like kind of an aside, but it's just making me think of it. Like when I first got sober, I, I like in 12 Steps, there's this thing about praying for the people that you, that you resent or the people that have hurt you and stuff like that. And I, I went to these trees that were like very important in my early sobriety that I had this important relationship with and that I would pray by them every day. And I went and I sat on the ground and I closed my eyes. This was in a city. Um, 
and I closed my eyes and I prayed for a particular person who had hurt me a lot and who I was, you know, really holding a lot of negative feelings towards. And I, it was really hard for me to pray for him. And I did. And then when I opened my eyes from the prayer, there was a baby raccoon sitting right in front of me. Um, uh (laughs) So yeah, I can relate to that experience of, of directly sort of getting those signs. Well, the land, like, and all of its inhabitants, which include us, it's like it has sentience, right? Like at least in the worldview that I subscribe to. And also like, I'm in a place where there's like a lot of like First Nations people. My partner is First Nations and like, they definitely believe that as well. And I feel like here it's, yeah, it's, 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 there's a lot of power that can come from that. And it's not necessarily you know, going to be relatable to everyone, but I also live next to the ocean. And so I think that there's a Mm -hmm. lot of like, uh, one of the biggest learnings for me is like, you watch the tide go in and out and in and out, you watch storms happen, you watch like all these different things, but the ocean like contains all of that. And I think it's been a big like learning lesson for me to realize that I contain all of that. And like, so does everyone else. And I think in terms of acceptance, like one of the biggest pieces for me is I like really grieve like who I was then and how much pain I was in. And I think when we're reaching for like the things that make us feel like cancellation is a safe, good way to be, it's usually because on some level we like feel unsafe and we feel like that's how we belong and that's how we follow the rules and that's how we get a sense of certainty. And I look at my old self or friends of mine who are still deep in that view and I just feel tremendous grief and sadness because like that's it's to me for for me then it was painful living that way even though there were also moments of beauty and power and really cool things that I've like learned to reintegrate like it was really confusing initially because I was like am I not a feminist anymore like where did like when I say my brain broke it was like my worldview like felt like it put a target on my back and I just didn't know what way was up anymore and it took a long time to like rebuild those pieces but I feel like now I know what's fundamentally true for me as opposed to what I feel like I need to say I believe in order to avoid punishment. It's actually really interesting um, what you're saying because definitely like I relate to the experience of like cancellation being this like world exploding experience and it's like really really painful but it also shines a light on how extremely painful it was pre-cancellation when life was about trying not to get canceled um and how yeah. how brutal and hard that is like the the self-monitoring the the surveillance of self and others the paranoia the not feeling like you can trust people um and mm-hmm. even the is such a brutal and painful experience i think for people who are like deep in the nexus um kind of coming out the other side you can almost see how much pain you were in before you got canceled in a way that you weren't necessarily able to fully own before because it was too scary to admit that you were feeling that way um so it's really totally yeah yeah and it gets projected onto the people around us like I noticed like I said I live in a small town that is sort of people joke it's like 20 years in the past you know and so Uh you'll see people like you know people say stuff where you're like wow like you can't believe you just said that you know especially for me like I grew up in the city and so it's like you know a good example will be like people will say something is retarded and I'll be like what like we don't talk like we learn in kindergarten in the city you like don't talk to people like that right yeah yeah but I've like learned being here that it's like language is just words that we like use to communicate but it's language is utilized very differently by different people and I think a part of like so many people that I know who are in the sort of like my version of it was this like queer social justice world it's like we're socially ostracized we feel lonely and we want a sense of security and so and we and we believe we're like yeah if we follow these rules we can like get this outcome when we don't have to feel this pain anymore and then the pain that we're feeling trying to follow all those rules and push ourselves into that box we project outward and we're like, everyone else is unsafe. Yeah. And I've like learned that like, yeah, I've like was saying this to, I think you guys and a couple other people the other day, like one of my hottest takes is like, I think you can really like start to feel better about your own life. If you start to take other people's stuff less personally. (laughs) (laughs) And 
woke world is very bad at that. Like it's very much like every single thing that every person says is oppressing me. And sometimes that's true, but also sometimes you just need to like go for a walk and like focus on something else. <laughs> like, you know, read a book, pet a dog. Totally. So, like my dog was hugely helpful in uh, helping with my cancellation because no matter what was going on, she was always just like, I just love you. Like, you're fine. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm just going to lick your tears off your face, you know, like. Yeah. Yeah, totally. <laughs> um, yeah, that's amazing. Okay, I'm going to throw some more uh, Dr. Christine Marie themes at you because they're great. Um, so mm. in her, and we're, when we were talking to her about post-traumatic growth, um, she, was, she was bringing up some other themes that had sort of cropped up in her research because I guess she organized her research into themes that kept appearing again and again in the stories of her participants, right? Um, mm -hmm. And so some of the themes that came up for her participants over and over again when they were talking about post-traumatic growth were um, a clearer sense of self, which you again already touched on before we even got there, but there's a couple Absolutely. more. Absolutely. Um, so there's also stronger boundaries, um, mm -hmm. increased appreciation for life, and mm -hmm. a new sense of purpose and also less fear. So I want you to talk about some of those. I'll see them again. Okay. Um, a clearer sense of self, stronger boundaries, increased appreciation for life, and a new sense of purpose and less fear. Yeah, no, oh. it's definitely, it's definitely all very true for me. Like, I feel like, well, like I said, first of all, I had to kind of figure out who I was from the ground up. And I, I, I had this moment, I had a period of time where I was like, you know, I'm not going to do activism anymore. I'm not going to do all these things. Like I spent my entire 20s doing activism around a lot of different things. And then when I went home and my mom was taking care of me, there was all the wet Sowetan protests were happening um, about the pipeline that's going through Unistotan territory. And I was talking to my niece or nibbling. I don't know exactly how they're gendering themselves right now. Um, and I was debating to myself, I'm like, do I tell this person who at the time was 12, like that I have been there, like I've been to the Unistotan camp. I've like helped with a direct action, like training on the bridge, like, you know, I've been there. I've contributed to that in a small way. Um, and I did tell them and they just looked at me like, <laughs> because no other adults in their world, like had that sense of perspective on what was going on. And I realized from the look on their face that like, I can't just throw away all these parts of myself mm -hmm. in favor of like trying to be safe or trying to get away from the mob, you know? Um, and it was helpful for me to like start to reintegrate like you know I can and my relationship with you guys and everyone who I know like in relationship to you guys like we can be on the left and care about feminism and be involved in all these things and also refuse this aspect of the culture you know like and we can reshape this aspect of the culture and I for think sure. there's been waves of attempts at conversation about this for years like some of my work did I was talking about this stuff in 2017 2018 which is why I find it funny that people are like you know I get the accusation occasionally, like, you only care about this since the George Floyd protests. And it's like, no, I was writing about this in 2017. <laughs> I've been an activist since 2003. You can shove it. But anyways, <laughs> man, I fucking hate that. It's like, people will just, it's wild what people will say about you that is just a self-serving argument. It has nothing to do with reality. So I think grounding into reality has been really, really helpful. And mm -hmm. I think in terms of like, yeah, setting stronger boundaries, like it's a lot easier to set stronger boundaries when you're grounded in reality and you're not trying to warp your reality around this worldview, which has useful pieces to it, but like is not the whole truth of every truth about like multiple truths can exist simultaneously, you know? Absolutely. And I mean, I'm a person like I teach about boundaries and I definitely feel like my boundaries have become clearer, easier. And ironically, like I trust people more and I have more faith in humans and the like life process on earth. Like, I feel like I used to feel really like that, um, in the worlds that I like sort of rolled in when, my, from my, when my cancellation happened, there's a very like humans are a scourge on the earth. We're cancer on the earth. You know, now there's the, we're a virus on the earth. This sort of like we're just bad and everything we touch is bad. And I remember like moving to the woods and being like, I don't want to cut down any of these trees. And like, 
feeling like guilty for like occupying this space. And then I had this dream one night about these beavers and how the beavers were like taking down all the trees to make the dam and whatever. And I was like, no, like we are, it's okay for us to like shape our environment. And I read Braiding Sweetgrass, which is an incredible book that talks about like how humans can have like beautiful, beneficial relationships with the land that we're on. And I don't live in this kind of um, fight, flight, freeze, fawn, like constant state of emergency feeling anymore. Mm -hmm. Like that's been a huge aspect is like one of the reasons I feel so much like sadness for my old self is I think about like my little brother got hit by a car when I was 19 and he almost died. And from then on, I had like my nervous system. And this was this happened in high school for me, too, because I experienced a lot of bullying. But like. I just, it was hard for me to remember a time in my life where I felt calm. Like to feel calm, I had to either be like drinking, using drugs, or having had done like two hours of yoga, mm-hmm. you know? And now my like natural state of being is to be calm and I feel when I move out of it. And that is a thing when I watch all this cancellation stuff, I'm like, man, like we're just reacting like directly from the sense of being just so nervous system activated around our safety and it's like I just much prefer this worldview where like I feel safe most of the time and when something doesn't feel safe I can ride the wave of it and get the support that I need and like ground back in you know and and I can do that without trying to control other people like it's not an effective means of trying to feel safe trying to control other people yeah (laughs) it makes your relationships like really hard to maintain yeah, absolutely. Um, so I'm just looking at some of these themes to see if we touched on them all, but I feel like we did. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, I think we touched on them all. Yeah. So um, what for you do you think was the most valuable thing that you've gained out of this whole crazy cancellation experience? Yeah, I mean, there's so, there's a lot of things. Um, but I feel that um, all of my relationships, including my relationship with myself, um, and there's a lot of aspects to that, like, you know, like my inner voice, my sense of self-esteem, my financial realities like so many things about my life have improved but all yeah all of my relationships are better and I really didn't understand back then how much the constant hostility that I was sharing with the world was making it hard for people to trust me feel at ease around me which makes sense because I didn't feel at ease in myself you know Um, but after all of this like it's just amazing how Like, I think, yeah, I think I'm just, like, a better friend. I'm more trustworthy. Like, I do support work with youth, and I just feel like the outcome of that work is so much richer because of, yeah, that sense of, like, peace and calm. And um, it's, yeah, it's a very, it's a very funny thing to think about because it's, like, in some ways, I wouldn't wish what happened to me on my worst enemy but I also feel like I do hope that, you know, that we can move through whatever it is we're trying to figure out right now to a place where everybody can feel like a sense of deeper peace and calm. And because so much of these movements, like we're wanting to actually be more inclusive and like be together, you know, because we feel lonely and so many of us have gone through school, like, you know, being bullied or ostracized or whatever. And but then we end up more lonely as a result of all the ways that we're trying to navigate that. And so for me, like, yeah, like just all of my relationships are better. And like, I just feel, um, I just feel a deeper sense of peace and a commitment to that sense of peace within myself and in my, all my relationships. And I just feel like it's, it's, it's something that I don't know if I could have achieved that any other way. Yeah, fuck yeah. I mean, yeah, you know, like the Nexus really kind of trains us to just broadcast like cop vibes at all times, which doesn't make anyone feel good around you, you know? It makes people feel like you're a fucking cop. Um, And no one feels at ease around that kind of energy, you know? Not even other people in the Nexus, which is why 
like you know if you're if you find yourself at some kind of like party or event like i always joke about the fucking anarchist book fair in montreal and how like like literally anybody who walks in there just sees like 10,000 people who they hate and who have tried to cancel them and, uh-huh. and like all in one giant room um and it's just like the most uncomfortable fucking like event of all time um yeah but uh yeah so in 12 steps there's this um kind of tradition that when you share your story you um kind of format it in this like in this way where you talk about your experience and then your strength and your hopes so kind of like what it was like um what happened and what it's like now and we kind of like formatted this interview to reflect that um and so one of our last questions is just going to be tell us about your life now like what do you love about it um what's changed for you in your life like what what is it like to be poplar rose now in 2021 yeah well for one thing i'm a lot less concerned with the internet (laughs) i mean i still like if i put out a podcast or a piece of writing or whatever like i still get a pretty good pickup of people listening and caring about what i say i was shocked actually like i was so scared of the internet for so long and then when i did my um interview on molly's podcast like i got such a nice i only got one weird reaction that I was privy to everyone else. And it was a very indirect sort of passive aggressive, not directly at me mm-hmm. <laughs> reaction. Everyone else was like, so happy to see you back. Um, and people even apologized to me. Multiple people apologized to me for participating in the cancellation. That's amazing. That's fucking awesome. Yeah. And uh, it really taught me that Part of the problem was me believing that, uh, you know, no one wanted to hear from me <laughs> when it just like wasn't true. It was like the, there was a small group of very vocal people who really didn't like me. Oftentimes, you know, there's some people who don't like me because they knew me when I was in my 20s and I had less sort of skills to deal with life. And maybe I did some things they didn't like or maybe we had, you know, not similar uh, compatible personalities who knew me personally. And then there's people who don't know me at all, who just, I think, just want someone to hate on, <laughs> Yeah, you know? And, but for the most part, yeah, I like didn't, I felt like those people just were like, you know, when you talk about like acting like a cop to each other, I can't remember where this comes from, but there's like a, I think it comes from theater of the oppressed, the like cop in your head. Mm. Yeah. And like, I was like enforcing like this cop in my head narrative of sort of like, no one wants you. You failed at doing this. Like you, you have nothing valuable to offer. Anything you say on the internet, is going to result in your head on a pike, blah, blah. And it's like, just not true. Like I really firmly believe that the vast majority of the world has no idea that this is going on. And then there's the people who care about it going on, who aren't really sure how they feel or are trying to take in different perspectives. And then there's a small vocal group of people who are enforcing these rules really strongly and they appear to be a much bigger group than they are because of how vocal and aggressive they are. Yeah. And I think a lot of people are just participating out of fear. Like there's a lot of people who are afraid of those, that smaller, very vocal group. And so they are taking part. And that's probably where some of the apologies come from because people take part not necessarily because they wanted to, but because they felt like they had to. Otherwise they would go down with the ship. Yeah, because the small group of like true believers, even though it is small, is able to mobilize larger groups of people to basically do their their weird bidding. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I mean... I feel like I've been thinking a lot actually about whether guys you whether you guys were going to ask me if I had participated in cancellations and it's like I have both been called out multiple times and participated in certain things like that had that vibe um, and actively said no to it so I've kind of done the whole you know gamut and I and I have a lot of empathy for people who are behaving that way because I think you know I think where the George Floyd thing is true is that people have seen Trump, they've seen George Floyd. It's like this massive awakening activation of like, I mean, I was a women's studies student. So I'm like, I feel like it's like culturally, everyone just took women's studies 101. You know, we're all just like, like, my mom is calling a lot of stuff white privilege these days. (laughs) You know, and like, I think when you see that, you want to, 
participate in dismantling it. And, you know, and one of the most easy direct ways to do that is to try to do it online. But the work, you know, is so much deeper than that. Yeah, it's absolutely. so, so much deeper than that. And so much of like, for me, I think about it from sort of like an indigenous context, because that's where my solidarity is. It's like, you know, everything that we're holding around residential schools and the 60s scoop and so many different things that are still ongoing today, like it's going to take generations for those things to heal and to shift. And it, the work actually requires a lot more patience than we can provide um, in on the internet online world. <laughs> so wow. I've like divested a lot from online stuff and that's been really helpful. <laughs> For sure. I mean, you and I do like different, but like somewhat similar work. And yeah. we've, we've talked about this before, how there's kind of a lot of parallels. Um, and I, I've thought a lot too about how like um, basically none of the issues faced by the people we work with can be resolved by sort of like changing discursive norms like on the internet you, you know what i mean like none of them can be addressed mm -hmm. by that like they require like massive investments um on the part of the state they require like huge policy changes and mm -hmm. they require like a lot of education that's that isn't just sort of like scolding people or whatever i mean we need to be teaching mm -hmm. fucking indigenous languages. Mm -hmm. We need to be teaching people like the history of the land that they live on. Um, yeah. Most people, you know, they do like a land acknowledgement, but have like literally no idea what happened in the intervening like 400 years of history, you know, and what yeah. happened before colonization either. Yeah. Like that's yeah. literally not, not on the, not on the menu of things that anyone learns about, you know? Yeah. Um, but anyways, yeah. Like the, the, the sort of like mode of politics that's just, yeah, you know, complaining about discourse on the internet and sort of doing these like one-on-one -on -one, like quote-unquote reparations to like random individuals isn't it you know that's not that does not yeah. doesn't change anything um yeah so it's like no and it's so true because I think you know my work I work with youth I work with a lot of different kinds of youth LGBTQ youth youth who are dealing with mental health issues indigenous youth kids in the foster system like wide range of um kids who are experiencing teen pregnancy, substance abuse, like lots of stuff. And I think, you know, one of the big changes that's like a big difference in what my life is now is so many times people, like I actually posted about this the other day, people will be like, what are these anti-cancel people doing that's like contributing to their communities? And it's like, I just don't post about that shit on the internet, yeah, partially yeah. because I've signed legal documents where I can't talk about it. <laughs> yeah. Um, but second of all, because like, I don't know, I feel like I kind of graduated into this deeper place where my work has this beyond the like legal aspects of it. There's like a sacred sort of like, I'm just not going to announce that on the internet for the benefit of creating this avatar that people think is woke enough. Yeah. Um, like in, in 12 steps, another thing I learned from 12 steps is just this idea of like, you do something, you do something kind, or you do something, um, for someone else and don't tell on yourself about it. Like there's this idea that like the good deeds that we do are like not, you know, something that we have to parade around for public consumption. And that's like, that's a big part mm -hmm. of like the anonymity of 12 steps, right? Like the stuff that I do in those kinds of contexts. And also that's like a value that I take into other areas of my life. It's like, that's not part of my brand. You know, I'm not trying to like perform that. And I agree that it like kind of cheapens it when you are doing this work and then you're just like posting it online um, for likes or whatever, you know? So yeah, when people say that, I'm like, you guys have no fucking idea what I do or do not do in my regular life because you don't know me. Like, you know what I post on Instagram. The idea yeah. that that is like, an accurate sort of summation of somebody's life is like very absurd. Yeah. Um, well, then it makes me wonder, I'm like, well, is what you're contributing? What is on your Instagram? Yeah, like, if so, <laughs> I care not to be judged by you. Like your memes, <laughs> you know, like your memes have like no usefulness to me. Like I cannot 
share a meme with a youth in crisis yeah. when we are safety planning. Like that's just fucking not helpful. Yeah. <laughs> it's just not. Like absolutely. Yeah. You know. Yeah, and that other stuff, like the real life stuff, can't be turned into a meme. You know. And like, yeah, like I'm the the queen of little squares with text on it, but like that absolutely cannot sum up like the complexities of what people are doing on the ground in their real lives. So. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um. So. Just to kind of wrap things up, um, we wanted to ask you what, if any, advice would you give to someone who's currently going through a cancellation? You could also think of this as like what advice you might give to your past self. Yeah. I'm debating right now because like I'm a doula and one part of me wants to give a very like birth oriented like answer to this question and another and then I'm like maybe I don't want to talk talk about it that way but I think (laughs) I will talk about it that way a little bit just to say that like you know birth is a very intense process where like life is growing inside of you and then it is becomes outside of you and I think cancellation like can kind of follow that metaphor in a certain way in the sense that the process of being canceled is like extremely intense. It hangs out in that what can feel like a very life or death place. Um, I've seen you guys talk about this. I've seen other people talk about this where, you know, so many people who've experienced cancellation, like the suicidality is super real and yeah. people talk about it like, oh, well, you just want to kill yourself because you feel so guilty because you did this horrible thing. And it's like, that's not where that feeling comes from. Like that feeling comes from like this tremendous attachment wound, like loss of your sense of yourself in the world, um, loss of hope, not knowing who to trust, like so many things, you know? And I think um, in the times when I have supported people like who are on that threshold, that sort of like life death threshold, like it can feel really scary and uncertain. And, but there is like, you know, there's new life on the other side of that. And like, there is life on the other side of cancellation. Like, I think that's one of the weird, like, um, paradoxical tricks of all of this Uh is that, you know, cancellation is really hard. And I really want to help contribute to a dialogue where this doesn't happen so much. Um, But the weird thing about it is like, if you just like, sort of surrender yourself to this process and like breathe through it and you know don't resist it like you can resist it in the sense of whatever having conversations about it but just allow yourself to kind of just be pulled through this process like there yeah there's life on the other side of it and the life is in my opinion like better and more free and I don't know when I see people who are experiencing cancellation on the one hand I like I worry for them um, and I care for them in their pain. But this other part of me is like stoked because I'm like, you're going to get to the place where it's better, you know, yeah. like, like, especially welcome. with like proper support. Yeah. And it always reminds me so much of getting sober, man. Fuck. <sighs> yeah. No, no. I mean, I like lately, I have been sober for the past several months and it's yeah it's like I it's different but I've gone through periods of like addiction sobriety stuff not necessarily I mean I actually very much envy your guys's AA framework because it's not a framework that totally works for me but I resonate with many many parts of it Mm -hmm. and I actually find it so interesting because I hear people 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 will rag on you guys and be like oh they're like stealing from all these other people and I'm like actually they've been like very clear that their framework is like (laughs) based on all these things, including this 12 step process. And it's like, I literally have not seen anybody else do that, <laughs> but it except, is except for process. Drunks, yeah. Yeah. Huh? except for drunks. Like that's where we got. Yeah. yeah. Totally. Um, but you're very clear. You're very clear and generous in your crediting of where you, where it came from. Right. Yeah, we and, stole it from some dead white guys from the Midwest, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, and like, I thought about it in a birth work framework, right? There's many frameworks you can think about it, right? Where yeah. it's this thing. It's like, it feels really treacherous. It feels dangerous. It feels scary. feels like you're going to die. feels like, literally, you can feel like you're going to die. Very, very, very overwhelming. But, you know, it's just like when the ocean's in a storm, like, it doesn't stay that way forever. Like, it, you will come to another place 
And for me, like, for example, like my boyfriend is very not woke and says some stuff that even I now just fucking will roll my eyes. But he has really expanded my heart in the sense that I'm able to see that there's just so much for me to love about him and people in general, even if I don't agree with their takes on things, you know, Mm -hmm. and it just has allowed me to be uh, so much more trusting and have more faith and have like, I'm happier to be alive than I have been for like most of my life. And I just, I don't think I could have reached that place really any other way for me personally. So now I actually feel tremendous gratitude for what I went through. And I mostly just pray for the people who, who did this stuff that they eventually find their own sense of peace, whatever that looks like for them. It's interesting. Like, this is kind of cheesy, but like the metaphor that's coming to my mind with all of this is like, metamorphosis and like the little caterpillar yeah. because it's like you know like the caterpillar has to totally just become total goo and like yeah, break, totally. break down into complete and utter goo and then from there like that's how the caterpillar becomes a butterfly you know um mm-hmm. and like in a certain way that's kind of like what cancellation is and it's like it's weird because it's like I've heard like what you're saying from so many people who have gone through this and it's like looking back it's like the very thing that we so desperately tried to hold on to that we were so afraid of losing, you know, being in the nexus and like living in that paranoid fear-based place where we're like desperately trying to hold on to our position. Like when we finally surrender and like let go of that, um, like it's a huge transformation where, you know, people constantly talk about, you know, feeling like they can be their more authentic self, have more authentic relationships, their world starts to expand. And it's like really powerful. And like, what I'm wondering is if maybe as this culture starts to shift, we'll see more people kind of preemptively canceling themselves and just sort of being Mm. like, I don't want to do this anymore. And I'm not going to wait for the bullies to try to destroy my life. Like I'm just going to Mm -hmm. say I'm done, you know, I'm just going to turn into goo myself, you know? (laughs) Well, because it's it's very initiatory, right? Like it's it's an initiation into like, like, yeah, I definitely remember back then being like having all these goals and these things I wanted to do that were sort of reliant on, to a certain degree, my participation in that worldview, especially because of how my business was niched yeah. to a certain kind of people. And now I just feel like I really do feel like in a certain way, um, and it's not to say that my life didn't have like meaning before my cancellation it absolutely did. And I wouldn't be here now without all of that. But now it feels like my life is really starting to begin like mm-hmm. and there's so much to look forward to and I mean for me because I work with youth and so many of the youth who are kind of coming up now it is they are they remind me of what I and my peers were like when we got to university or that age you know like yeah. out of high school where like not that many of us were like whatever going to protest in high school and stuff whereas you know my nibbling <laughs> first protest they ever went to had more than a hundred thousand people mm-hmm. um which blows my mind because I've, I've been to many protests organized many protests been arrested many times I've never been to a protest that big and so you know I look at this generation and just the fire that they have to create change and to uh, be the change they want to see and I just and this is a huge part of why I'm like willing to have these conversations. Like I feel less fear about it now, but it was extremely scary to start talking about it initially. But these conversations for me are like really just a prayer for them to be like this. There is a roadmap. There is another way to do this that like didn't exist when I was coming up mm-hmm. and they're coming up at like 12, 13, these young ages. And I just want so much for them to, for there to be another option. Um, really early on for them to not have to walk through this same totally painful process. And I personally feel that the really hardcore kind of cancel crew mentality is going to become like sort of a scary fringe. Yeah. Yeah, I really hope, I hope, I hope it becomes like a weird millennial thing that zoomers make fun of. Um, That would be great. Yeah, yeah. It, wouldn't that be sick? I don't know. It, it's really interesting what you're saying, man. It's reminding me of like, I feel like when when I was like first becoming a leftist, when I was like 13, 14, 15, um, and starting to like understand some of these ideas and stuff, like it was interesting because the left at that time 
had basically been like fucking gutted in like the 80s and 90s. Like it, it kind of didn't yeah. exist. It had been turned into this like weird sort of like subcultural um, thing. And like, I don't know, the, there was like unions had just disappeared and like whatever. There wasn't a lot of like, you know, there wasn't really like a big like left party, anything like that. And then the left has kind of grown in the meantime, but it's grown in this atmosphere of like intense neoliberalism, right? So mm-hmm. it t- takes on these char- yeah. liberal characteristics and becomes the nexus, right? And now yeah. there is like a big kind of left but it's like weird and scary and so like i don't know i hope that we can like give the zoomers like a big left and like be like here we made this for you but please make it less fucked up because we we really messed up you know um yeah well and like another hot take of mine i feel is like when i look at all like the state of the world right now like and i look at the trump supporters (laughs) the trump supporters to me like, yeah, there's, like, I'm super anti-Trump. Do not think that stuff is right. There's obviously ties to white supremacy in that worldview. But I don't actually think that that's the main motivation for why this fervor has appeared. And I think that people on the left look at it and they're, I've literally seen memes that say, this is simply about white supremacy. Right. And, like, I hate that take because I'm like, yes, white supremacy is here. Absolutely. But. A lot of these people support Trump because they're sick and tired of the way the establishment works. And there is a revolutionary fervor to their like wanting to like change how the world is. And I feel like, you know, I don't agree with how they're going about it. I think QAnon is fucking bizarre. But I also am like, there's something really inspiring to me in that. Like, and I would not, what I think is that I think we need to be able to speak to that feeling in people, right? To be able to say like, yeah, shit is fucked. We shouldn't be trusting the people in power and we can create something new together. But to do that and to have the numbers that we're looking for to create this like actual sort of revolution that everybody wants to have, we need to be able to tolerate difference of opinion, Mm -hmm. you know, to a point. Obviously, everyone's line is going to be different. And like there's lots of there's lots of things that I don't agree with but I think it's just like you know my boyfriend sometimes will listen to these things where I know that there's little bits of it where I'm like that's this person sounds like a Trump supporter and I've gotten really really mad at him and been like why are you listening to this Trump conspiracy garbage and he'll say to me like he's very anti-authoritarian he's like I don't give a shit about Trump I don't give a shit about any of these people I don't believe in the government you know and we've gotten these huge fights about it (laughs) You know, and but what it's taught me is that the reason that this stuff appeals to him because it's sent to him by friends or whatever, and he he literally is so off that radar, he doesn't even hear the way that it sounds kind of Trump supporting. What it's shown me though is that what appeals to him about it is the anti establishment mm-hmm. fervor, right? And I just feel like we're at this moment that's like really ripe for things to change, and that is exciting, and we can do it together. And I think we just, I would just so much want an expansion of what that change can look like in our minds. Like what it looks like in my community locally is going to be completely different from what it looks like globally in many places around the world. And I don't know. I just believe in us. I believe in humans more. It's ironic because back then I was like, you know, everything is about activism, but I also was like, we're fucked. And now I'm like, yeah, I'm still an activist and I care about this stuff, but I don't feel like we're fucked. I feel like I'm like, what is this going to be like? Like, this is kind of exciting. I'm like, curious to see what's going to happen with the world yeah absolutely and i think like yeah when people are starting to be like yo shit is fucked and they're like they want to make meaning out of that like they want they want solutions right and the left we have a responsibility to offer people better solutions we can't just Mm -hmm. be like oh people are like shit is fucked and then they start whatever becoming trump supporters or something well that initial impulse that shit is fucked like that's an opportunity for the left to go in and like offer something better and i think we have a responsibility to do that yeah so totally. yeah totally. um that was like a weird political rant at the end but i'm glad that we did that um <laughs> so poplar in for people who are um you know just interested in learning more about you um where can they find out more so i have an instagram that i post on occasionally nice, <laughs> nice. at poplar rose p-o-p-l-a-r-r-o-s-e okay um i also have an email list which I recently resurrected the nice thing about my email list is that um 
it will end up in your inbox. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Whereas like on Instagram, like it's debatable whether or not you'll see what I post. So um, I'm not currently collecting emails. But you can always send me like a private message with your email if you want to be on my email list. And um, yeah, I don't know what I'm going to be doing on the internet, but I'm enjoying like these podcasts that I've been on lately. And I might start teaching like about boundaries and re- like publishing some writing and stuff again, but we'll see. Yeah, I'm <laughs> not going to make any promises to the internet. <laughs> you also did an interview recently um, with our friend Lindsay as well. We can put up a link to that podcast. Interview. Yeah, I did two, two interviews about boundaries. One was kind of more magical and the other one was a bit more practical and that was really fun because I got to um, revisit a topic that I really care about, but with sort of a new tone. And that was exciting. Yeah, I haven't listened yet, but I'm looking forward to it. Um, okay, well, thank you so much, Poplar. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for sharing your experience, strength, and hope with us today. Yeah, it's been really nice to talk to you, Poplar. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I really feel like, you know, your guys' work on this, it's just been so helpful. Like, I think, you know, I got to a place, I think I maybe have told you this, like I got to a place where I was like, yeah, I feel good about myself. I feel good about my life, but like, I cannot leave where I live because the rest of the world is kind of scary and no one else is going to have these same conclusions as me. And when your work started to come out um, and Molly's was a big piece, like her podcast around this stuff has been really helpful too. Like, it's just so nice to hear other people coming to these same conclusions and be like, wow, I'm not alone. And like, I can leave the little remote community I live in and like, and I can go hang out with people on the left and not be totally terrified of them. (laughs) (laughs) That's so, it's so, so precious and so hope giving. And I just have a lot of gratitude towards you guys for that because it requires like a lot of bravery and it's a lot of work. And yeah, I'm just really proud of what you have created and what you've shared. And I feel grateful that you've given me a chance to contribute to that. So thank you. Aw, thanks, Poplar. Thank you.